The Dark Cracks of Kamang, The Bajai Boys in Indonesia, is the title of a memoir by Napier-based poet Jeremy Roberts. The book concentrates on his and his friends' years in Indonesia, where Jeremy worked as an English language teacher and performance poet a decade ago. It's full to overflowing with poems he wrote during what proved to be a productive and exhilarating time in his life. Jeremy's now a poetry editor and reviewer. He interviews poets on Radio Kidnappers, and he's an MC at Napier Live Poets. We begin with a poem from his book. Called Lost and Free on the Streets of Jakarta. In the moment, one more evacuee from a hundred million moments. Zigzagging in rain among strange rubbish, dirt, busted concrete, and revving monster motorcycle mash of commuters. I was seeking a pathway home in a smoky blue dusk and failing as only a foreigner can absolutely to hail a taxi. Yet there was laughter inside my aching heels, sanctuary inside the eyes of the riders as I started to unfold that old Siddhartha Gotama stuff about our thoughts making the world. And curiosity felt good, walking further up the number line than I had for quite a while. Easy words, familiar ghosts left behind, replaced by new doorways, tickets to shadow plays, calls to prayer. The Budgeye Boys, well, that was a uh, poetry duo combo that I was involved with in Jakarta in 2013. So I was working at an international school in Jakarta and I met a chap called Derek Fraser and we just clicked and had a bit of fun with some uh, poetry as well as teaching full-time and at the same international school. What connects you? I mean were you instantly friends? Look, it was fun. one of those things. We flew into Jakarta the same night, and uh, I flew in first. And the principal, Marie, said, "Oh, hi, Jeremy. Welcome. Go and sit in that coffee shop out there." And the you know the famous blanket of balmy air wrapped around me, and I sat there drinking coffee, observing, wondering what on earth I'd done. And then um, not long after, I met. Derek and he, he was just so easygoing he's a, he's a real character as I, I hope I've captured some of his colorful traits in the book actually yeah and that the adventure began <laughs> when you were thinking about writing this Jeremy because it's it's for me it's quite a distinctive memoir because there is so much poetry within it it's almost a poetic memoir if you like you know the two go hand in hand those two things were always going to be blended it took me a little while to work out how to do it i was going to do a sort of a poetic prose thing uh to start with but then i thought oh no let's just have more or less straight prose and then bring the poems in here and there so yeah i mean i had i had sort of archives of material and uh, yeah, I yeah I took four years to write it I don't think I'd be talking to you now if it wasn't for the lockdown boost it had a few times but yeah I, I just wanted to share the story Lynn and um, I tried to immerse the reader in the setting and you know all the action 
and um, reflections and a few poems. I mean, it, our eyes were just popping when we first arrived and, and it was a pure culture shock, you know. I'll never forget watching this uh, sea of swarming motorbikes in this, it was just a shimmering colour field of dust and carbon. And, the, and it was the, you know, the last rays of sunlight just before it got dark, it's it dark about 6 p.m. there. There's no daylight saving. And um, it, was, it was beautiful. But yeah, like the religious presence. You, so suddenly there's the call to prayer blasting. But it was a place of, of such um, contradiction sometimes. You'd see the um, orangkachil. That means little people pushing their handcarts down the street they might be selling food or they might be selling um, utensils for the household in all weather. And then behind them, you'd see 12 Ferraris just cruising down, heading to the mall to some fancy restaurant. So, you know, there were contrasts all over the place. Um, no anti-smoking laws. So dreadful for um, quitters. One dollar a packet, approximately. So quite a few of the teachers had has started smoking again and before you know it as I say in the book smoking at the dinner table so all it's like a time machine sort of like going going back but it's sort of not back it's this is this is now yeah contrasts you know sometimes rubbish on the streets and then the most glamorous high fashion malls you could ever see you describe being in Takata as like being in a witness protection program, except it's your oh. old life that you're protected from. So clearly it was very liberating for you, Jeremy. What about, was it liberating for you also as a poet? I mean, you've been writing, I think, since the 1980s, but you had all these new experiences, you had new language. Yeah. Was that liberating for you? It was. 2013 is like stage one of a three or four part journey. My writing was reflecting of what I saw. Yeah, it was. It, and, it, and it was liberating. I love going somewhere new and getting new images and um, new emotions. You know, but w when I say stage one, well, stage four, uh, two and a half years later after arriving as an utter greenhorn, I was married in an Islamic wedding ceremony and to a woman I met, which funnily enough was predicted in the first two or three days we were there. I think there was a party. And uh, this tarot card reader said, oh, you're going to marry an Indonesian woman. I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> so it came true. So watch out. <laughs> when you were there also, though, I mean, in terms of cultural differences, Jeremy, were you, when you were in Indonesia, were there certain things that you found it was inappropriate to write about, particularly if you were going to, say, perform the poetry? I struggled to meet any Indonesian poets the first year or, or musicians, but I did eventually. But I kept asking, where are the Indonesian poets? Because I wanted to hook up with, with somebody, but nobody, nobody knew. And I, I tried looking them up on the internet, but you know, I couldn't speak the house of Indonesia. I've since found out that some poets do publish in English. And uh, I'm going, in fact, I'm going back to Indonesia very soon. I'm, I'm going to try and track down somebody um, and have a good chat about this, about expression. I think, I think um, in terms of the media, I was quite surprised the English language newspapers like the Jakarta Post and Globe, they had some um, critiques. Uh, there, there's a famous book called Julius Jihad that I think all, all of us expats bought 
and we that was very open and discussing things and saying that this is crap and what's wrong with this. So I think it's it depends on your um, the circles you move in. There's certainly some very um, fundamentalist based um, conservatism there. Uh, I think if you did strongly anti-government things and and publicise that or the wrong target, yeah, I think I think probably you you might come to regret it. But overall, I think I was a um, little bit relieved in a way to see that actually people were expressing things. It has a brutal history in Indonesia, and the death penalty is still enforced. Um, so there's those few little things there that you, in the back of your mind, you go, hmm, I'm not going to be too bold. But Derek and I, the Budgei boys, we played almost exclusively to expat audiences. So, um, yeah, we were sort of in a little bubble, which I was, I, I talk about trying to sort of get out of. And then the next year, I did actually, I met some Indonesian musicians and I, I was invited to an Indonesian music festival and did a gig among some trees in a forest, which was utterly cool. Many of your poems uh, in the the memoir, Jeremy, have been published elsewhere, but when you were rereading your poetry, your journals, your notes from that time, did you come across some poems that maybe surprised you? And on reflection, having you know, revisited that time in such depth, do you think it's been a crucial, fundamental time in your development as a poet? Oh, I would say absolutely, absolutely, yes, yes. It took me out of Greyland and it just forced me to write about other things, yeah. I mean, I've got notebooks with um, scribbles and bits and pieces and there's material there that I hope to probably when when this book has sort of, all my energies have receded from promoting this book, etc., I'll probably return to some of those older poems because I'd like to one day have a collection of or Indonesian-based, Jakarta-based type poems. There's so much material there, yes, yes. Now, you inspire me, Lynn, when you say that, actually. I should get those notebooks out. What are you writing about now, then, that you're settled in Napier, family man? Uh, I mean, th- these poems are, f- are filled with discovery and excitement of the new, you know, the reasons, as you say, that you left New Zealand. So what would we find in your poetry these days? Well... I have written inverted commas Hawke's Bay poems, shared those at open mics and the like. I lost my parents um, sort of recently, um, mum last year, and I've, I've written poems for them. I'm writing something for uh, my daughter. We, we have an autistic daughter, so that's been an interesting journey, ongoing journey. And um, I am someone who tends to look, look out at the world as well, but I, I go to all the open mics here and... I must admit, I've been really inspired by some of the local writers here. Hawke's Bay is an incredible, <laughs> incredible nest of, of writers down here. It's quite remarkable, yeah. You know, there's stuff in the news, or there's memory stuff, or there's, you know, events. I mean, you do I, have, you, do, you write a lot of observational poetry, don't you? And, and within your um, work written in Jakarta, you know, there's just lots of moments. It might be rat bones on the street or a scrawny cat or something like that. You're very, you're watching very closely everything around you. Observation is all I really had. And what I think now is that I might be able to go uh, even deeper and 
even through Bahasa Indonesia language and see a bit more because I've, I've, I've been married for a few years to my wife who's Indonesian and I have, I have that connection, you know, to the place. It's on a much deeper level. You know, we, we will be going back to see her family and there aren't many, I tell you what, there aren't many um, the old expat friends in Jakarta. There might only be one. They've all gone. So that, that's what happens, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I look forward to making a few notes on this trip and it'll, it'll, there'll be observational stuff, but I'm sort of hoping to, because my relationships, I think, considerably deeper with Indonesia now than it was, you know, that, that should produce something, something. And then, you know, I'll, there's some Indonesian musicians I'm going to hook up with, so that'll be fun. We'll probably jam and have a bit of fun. Jeremy Roberts. His book is called The Dark Cracks of Kamang, the Bajai Boys in Indonesia, and it's published by Interactive Press.